Hello and welcome to Trawler Talk, a podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Let me first start out today by mentioning our sponsor, Atlantis Marine Finance. When it comes to getting a loan for your new boat, there are a lot of options out there, but not all are created equal. Atlantis Marine Finance focuses solely on the yacht space and truly understand the complexities that come with purchasing your dream boat. For more information, head on over to AtlantisMarineFinance.com. Now for our podcast. When our next guest set out to find a trawler, they cast their nets far and wide from their home at Phoenix, Arizona. One would figure that solid leads would pop up in Southern California or the Pacific Northwest, but their dreamboat sat idle in one of the world's most isolated island chains on Oahu in Hawaii. A few days later, they were there. The boat wasn't in great shape, but she had great bones, so they bought her. And then, Sophia and Josh Johnson, both with very different boating backgrounds, undertook a refit over a year and many, many flights to Hawaii until she was ready for her maiden voyage, which just so happened to be 2,500 nautical miles across the Pacific Ocean. Their story of the refit and the journey is an interesting and captivating one that I know you will enjoy. So why don't you tell me, first of all, Josh and Sophia, um, what are your boating backgrounds before you started to look into actually purchasing one on your own? Um. So my background was uh, nothing. <laughs> I had uh, my my boating experience was uh, maybe a, a ski boat on a, a lake here in Arizona. Nothing mm-hmm. of sorts that Josh had. So when he first mentioned, you know, the idea that he wanted to buy a boat, live on it, you know, and travel, um, it was all brand new to me. And had never been on a boat either. Um, our first boat that we bought, we purchased in Canada mm-hmm. um, in fall and brought it down in a pretty decent weather system. And that uh, was my first time experiencing green waves over the bow. And I had no idea that it was one that was probably your first time shouldn't be in. But I <laughs> yes, Josh, I handled it well and learned how to cook food in the galley while catching pans as they were sliding off the stove. And <laughs> since then, it's I've definitely learned a lot from a city girl with no boating experience to crossing the ocean now. Okay. So Josh, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I, I grew up in a very small community in Southeast Alaska uh, with no roads. So uh, boats and specifically commercial fishing were not only our revenue, it, they were our method of transportation, you know, XXX. I would take a little skip to school every day as an example. So um, growing up and then becoming independent on my own, you know, growing up on my parents' commercial fishing boat, being gone for three or four months a season from, you know, birth, being that kid tied to the mast with a life jacket and a little lanyard just close enough where you couldn't get to the gunnels, uh, I kind of progressed through gill netting, trolling, long lining up to the Bering Sea, uh, around ADAC, um, and just pretty much anything to do with the water until I decided to move to a warmer state from Alaska and go to college. So the first 20-some years of my life, uh, I spent more time on the water than I probably did on land. Oh, wow. And, and you guys met in college? Was that in Arizona? Is that correct? Yeah, we met down here in Arizona. Okay. All right. So you've been living in Arizona for a while, maybe missing the water, doing the ski boats and things like that. And uh, as um, Sophia mentioned earlier, you had the idea of maybe buying a boat and doing a liveaboard thing. So... <laughs> How did that progress? So as the kids got older, as we transitioned from, you know, soccer mom and dad and dance mom and dad and all that kind of stuff, when we had a little more independence, 
um, we kind or I kind of brought up the uh, possibility of traveling, you know, and actually having a vessel and trying to figure out, you know, what we wanted to do as we got closer to, I don't want to say retirement, but middle age and being a little more comfortable with our time. So um, I, since I grew up on commercial fishing boats in the Northwest, we actually started to actively look, let's say, what was that, six years ago, um, for a converted fishing boat, like a, a, a trawler yacht, as they're called, or a troller yacht. Sure. Um, and that's been, that kind of started off the process. We found a 42-foot Deltaga, which is a Canadian-built there in Campbell River uh, ex-Dungy boat that had been converted into a yacht uh, named Sea Prince. And we made a deal back in 2016, 2017, excuse me, on her. And that was what Sophia just referred to, which was her first ever experience in the open water was actually a 10 to 12 foot sea, you know, in a, in a brand new boat to us and having to bring it down from Vancouver Island and uh, get her through the customs docks at Friday Harbor by 3 p.m. So that was a kind of a harrowing first couple of days, oh, but wow. uh, she handled it well. And that was also a, a really good story from years back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you were on that boat for a while and then did you, do you still own that boat or how did you transition into the next vessel? Well, that actually brings us, you know, full circle. Okay. We were heading to Alaska from our home slip there in Puget Sound in Brennan, which is called Pleasant Harbor Marina on Sea Prince, and COVID started. Mm-hmm. So unless at the very beginning parts of COVID, unless you had a reason for mm-hmm. passing through the inside passage, you had to show that you could uh, have enough fuel to make the complete journey to Alaska without stopping in the very early days. And they changed it after that. Or you had to go the outside of Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Sea Prince was a great little 42-foot boat, but she was not open ocean capable. And we didn't have the ability of 800 miles without stopping. So that really, when we did the San Juans with our friends and family that whole season instead, you know, doing our own little quarantine, but it really put a damper on the plans. If we would have had a larger or an open ocean boat, we could have just gone off Vancouver Island, you know, 80 miles and jumped all the way up to Haida Gwaii and up in the Ketchikan and not having had an issue. Uh-huh. So even though we were still enjoying, you know, Puget Sound boating, we started to look for the next boat, something that actually was blue water capable, which brings us to the, you know, the diesel duck family itself. Yeah, uh, very cool boat. A lot of our readers know quite a bit about it and our listeners. Uh, so you look for a diesel duck. You found one, and it was in Honolulu. So you flew out there, and then what did you find? So we had, you know, Josh had kind of decided that the diesel duck was going to be our next boat. And we actually had flown out to Florida first to look at one that was a 55-foot 50, oh, boat. Okay. Um, it wasn't fully finished. Uh, it didn't have the sail package on it yet. Um, and we actually got so far with that one and made an offer um, that just didn't quite go through. Now we kind of thank goodness that it didn't. Um, and then we had also looked at one that was um, in the tropics out in Malaysia. Um, never did get to go see that one. Um, COVID. COVID. And uh, yeah. our broker, Jeff Merrill, was amazing through the whole process and we happened to just be hanging out one weekend and he called and said that he has a boat that will be coming up for sale it hadn't yet hit the market um and he wanted to let us know about it and uh i think that day when he told us that it was in honolulu hawaii um 
we kind of had an idea of what boat we thought it was because we had followed the previous YouTube video uh, of okay. that boat crossing the ocean. And I think that by the end of the, the conversation with Jeff Merrill, we actually had a tentative offer in an email and tickets purchased to fly out to Hawaii. Um, and I think we we were there to see the boat within 20 minutes of it hitting the market. So we wanted to make sure that we, that we saw it and we kind of had our our first dibs on it. Yeah, Jeff Barrell is a good friend of the magazine and a good friend of our Trawler Fest events. So he is tenacious, that's for sure. So you got there after 20 minutes hitting the market and you decided to take the plunge. Uh, let's talk about the refit that you guys took on while living basically across the Pacific in Arizona. So uh, the, the Lucky Duck, which was her name before we changed it to La Costa, okay. uh, had been sitting for over two years uh, in the tropics in sun beating down in kind of a state of atrophy. So when we say refit, most of the, the basic systems were all still mothballed and in good condition. Oh, that's good. But she, she needed quite a bit to be brought back. Uh, the previous ocean crossing that she did in 18, almost none of the, the challenges they ran into were ever actually rectified. So we kind of had to start over fresh. And Jeff was great in that scenario since he'd represented the previous owner as well on, on, the, on that boat of kind of going through the whole process as well as the Seahorse team in, uh, at Seahorse Marine there that built her. So the main things that, that we really had to do from the from the standpoint was just to actually go through maintenance, repair, completely going through all the fuel system, mm -hmm. um, adding a fuel polisher and, and a transfer method, okay. kind of going through um, all the maintenance that was either deferred or or just hadn't been done uh, since the actual crossing, including repairing a steering line, you know, uh, all the major stuff that you could kind of have to go through step by step to make sure that the boat is going to go from, um, you know, a, pretty much a, a, a marina queen, which she'd been for a couple of years, into be able to handle open water again. Yeah. So the water maker, we had to, uh, we had to replace her sails. Um, boy. The biggest thing definitely for sure is that she had 2006 uh, electronics yeah. and they were just at the point of, of just being out of date and not really functional. So we removed everything electronic from the boat and installed a uh, commercial fishing series, uh, primarily that I was familiar with, which is a Fruno system. Yeah. So everything from AIS to the steering pump to uh, a DVT, an MFD display, radar, sonar, everything that we could. We just, from a reliability standpoint, we replaced it with new with the Fruno and, and we did all that work ourselves. Uh -huh. um, and I that turned out to be a phenomenal upgrade for all the challenges we had later in the trip, uh, but especially with, you know, electronics and in time. But um, what are the other big things that we did to get it ready to go? Sounds... We, we did remodel the salon. Uh -huh. Yeah, we did a complete remodel. Um, the Lucky Duck originally had a, uh, like an office desk Mm -hmm. set up in the salon with a couch on one side and the like a big desk library on the other side that really wasn't our style usable um and the forward um only had one side of the berth available for sleeping and the other side i always called it the garage because literally it was a built-in amazing setup for uh, every spare part on the boat which was another amazing factor with you know buying this boat is it had a backup to a backup of oh. every part when we bought it that's great um 
but that didn't work for us. We have four children um, and lots of friends that want to come visit. So we had to really think of a way to still have a space to keep all of these extra parts, um, but still have a forward that we could turn back into the V-birth sleeping wise. Mm -hmm. Um, So we ended up tearing out the desk um, and ended up putting in a beautiful settee that underneath of it fits all of the quote unquote garage stuff from the forward. Oh. Um, and then it opened another seating area and sleeping yeah. for the crossing. It could be a sea berth as well, how we kind of set it up well, without a lease sale, but yeah. similar. That's interesting. But, um, the last big thing to be completely honest with, mm-hmm. with the actual getting ready to go. Uh, we had a couple of years of half full tanks sitting in a warm, moist environment. Yeah. And we actually drain down every fuel tank. Uh, she holds 2000 gallons and six tanks. So we drained down every fuel tank and actually got in and cleaned out the organics and sludge. And then I made a, a, a portable polisher with a five-gallon bucket, a Raycor, and a transfer pump. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's actually been useful several times since then, actually. It, it's been a pretty nice little setup. But uh-huh. just a, a Home Depot five-gallon bucket, a couple bolts, and a Raycor bolted to the side of it. And you know, we would, we would pump down one tank with the built-in system as close as we could and then take that last 25, 30 gallons out and then physically get in there and clean the tanks. And we're glad we did. Wow. You know, I, we don't know if it had ever been done since the boat was built in 06. So, you know, there was a lot of sludge in the organics that you'd expect below the, the sump level of each pickup tube. Mm. And because uh, La Costa has six tanks, that was a long process, <laughs> you know, transferring all the fuel into one to be able to put it back into other, distribute yeah. among them, you know, without having it. And then we, at, every time a fuel tank was completely uh, cleaned out and sanitized and back together, then we would take her to fuel dock. And of course, the prices of fuel in Hawaii were amazing. And we, uh, <laughs> we would just fill that tank completely until we had her all balanced down with fuel and all clean tanks and then a new polishing system to you know, take care of any of the challenges that might arise post that kind of maintenance. Yeah. Um, you know, you talked about all these uh, updates that you made. What What's the time frame we're talking? Because you, you purchased a boat and then, you know, you decided to make the trip we're going to talk about in a minute. So what's the time frame that you guys, it took you to do the updates? Working about 10 days a month because we still have uh, work and, and, and obligations. This was a <laughs> About let's say thirteen or fourteen months, okay. start to finish for everything. That's 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 interesting. I mean, that's that seems like you guys were really diligent. Well, you you use your time in Hawaii pretty well. It sounds like. Well, it it wasn't like a vacation. That's for sure. Maybe <laughs> the first couple trips, and then after that, it was definitely you know getting focused on what we needed to do. Um, we had we had very interesting uh, travels going through TSA one day with just a radar. <laughs> and then, you know, a 80 pound steering ram the next trip, um, our, 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 our boxes were always open by, by the airlines and checked because it was very interesting stuff that we were traveling with. Um, we, one of our sail bags always had something massive in it and we'd pay extra freight. So I'm sure that they, every three weeks when we became through security, the, the workers there were just laughing as they knew it was us again. They probably saw the baggage and said, what do the Johnsons have this time? Because we never had clothing. It was funny. There was never clothing. You know, you'd think when you're going to Hawaii, that yeah. all kinds of vacation clothes. No, it had a uh, cart. It had food. Um, I couldn't tell you how many packages of ramen I would take over or just food that was cheaper here than to get on the Island. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, an entire set of, electronics and mm-hmm. you know when we had our couch built uh we had to bring the cushions home 
to Arizona to have them reupholstered yeah. and made. Oh man, TSA agents probably still getting a laugh over that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Great, great example to finish off that whole thing is, you know, we wanted to have a backup to almost every system. So I, I would bring a lathe. I would bring one of my big welders. I would bring 25 pounds of just copper fittings, you know, just the most random things that we would try to, to supplement all of our backup stuff in case of, you know, emergency mid-ocean where we had to make our own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you, uh, the next thing would be to the trip you were taking. So you were planning on going from Honolulu to, uh, was it Myers Chuck or it, that was the, that was the uh, voyage you were planning on doing. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. So you set up a date, you have an annual weather window that sort of gives you the best time to travel and you went with ocean pro weather for routing can you tell me more about that how that works sure uh that was definitely all me i've been following the insight for um for quite a few years okay. and just traveling different people's voyages and, and the passages and whatnot and and bob cook's name kept coming up mm-hmm. um on people who have used him in quite a few scenarios that we were familiar with and we we uh we followed and after let's say five or six really good reviews of his services, we gave him a call, um, explained the scenario. He was instantly incredibly, <laughs> incredibly detailed about the North Pacific highs and all that kind of stuff. He's got a, some meteorological background and what he does and just walk through the whole process, what it would cost, what kind of items he would need us to install, for example, an Iridium Go and, you know, phone a blank, tracking our AAS signature, all those kinds of things. Okay. And we felt really comfortable with him being our, our primary. And he did also agree with uh, the, the traditional, you know, Jimmy Cornell's and other version, the Pacific High should be formed by May 28th, and we would have about a six-week-plus window you know, where it's favorable to head almost due north there from uh, Honolulu towards uh, southeast Alaska. Got it. So that was the reason why we used Bob Cook, and we were definitely very glad that we did mm-hmm. because, you know, that, that conversation every day with him, uh, especially when things got bad later, you know, was very calming. Yeah. I hear that, yeah. Sophia, how did you guys choose the crew that came with you? Um, we knew, so Kim and Dwayne, um, it's Josh's cousin, Kim and her husband, Dwayne. Okay. Um, they were actually our original crew that was supposed to go when we had Sea Prince, our first boat. Uh, they were going to be our, our crew for going up to Alaska, going through the inside passage. Um, and when that kind of fell to pieces and we bought our boat, we kind of had started talking about a crew and who wanted to come with who could take the time off to come mm-hmm. um and they were the first ones to raise their hand and they were so excited to go and uh we just kind of started to plan from there uh they met us in hawaii before the trip um and we kind of had a very quick crash course that i think it was only about four days maybe three mm-hmm. um to show them the new electronics as we were kind of learning it um the boat as we were still learning it also and uh just kind of going over everything. Um, Dwayne did does have sailing experience uh, from being living in California. Did uh, quite a few of like the Bay Regattas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had, you know, some of the boating experience. Not quite to to Josh's level, but sure. Uh, yeah, that was that was the crew. It was Josh and and three of us that kind of knew what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. 
Kim and Dwayne are, are adventure partners. Yeah, we've uh, been with, around the world and all sorts of fun places with them. Prior, uh-huh. we knew that we would get along. We knew that they were capable, and Dwayne's very handy working in the automotive field for his career itself. So had a good backup for for options in case. Um, and they're they're just as crazy as us. They wanted another adventure to, to notch on the on the belt. Well said. Just as crazy as you. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the journey. I remember reading in the story that the first week was pretty blissful for you guys. I think it was seven straight days of just stunning yeah. weather, stunning weather, right? And you know, calm, oh, yeah. calmish seas. Calmish seas. Uh, the first week was incredible. Uh-huh. Um, it kind of, I think, put a, a blindfold to what was going to happen because, you know, of course, I thought that it was going to be this beautiful, the whole entire crossing. Um, it was calm weather. Every morning we'd get up and, you know, put the fishing poles in. We'd catch lunch and dinner and snack every day off of our fishing poles. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> we were able to do laundry, um, you know, sit on the, the back deck and, you know, Makes this good time at least 160 plus nautical miles a day to begin with, which is phenomenal. Wow! Yeah, we did have a um, the very first night um, was kind of a little bit of a scare. Mm-hmm. We uh, lost our um, lost our steering and autopilot the very first evening, you know, night out. And uh, yikes! I was kind of hoping that that wasn't going to set the tune for the rest mm-hmm. of the trip. Um, and we were able. Josh was able to find the problem with a set screw in the, the autopilot, get that taken care of and reclaim whatever uh, hydraulic fluid we could get. Because unfortunately the hydraulic fluid was one thing on Hawaii that they didn't carry or they were out of. And uh, we didn't, I think we were able to bring one quart with us uh, again in our luggage. And um, so that was a, a fun night, but yeah, the first uh, seven to, to seven, eight days was just, amazing the ocean was so flat um barely even any ripples we had tons of um, marine wildlife around us you know dolphins and whales um pretty amazing funny days and then you kind of notice when we were starting to hit the storms and we were starting to hit different latitudes as we continued north Mm -hmm. because it it got a little less wonderful. Okay. So, so then, then what happened? Did were you, were you in t- contact with ocean pro weather or how did you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so we, we were, we had a plan okay. before leaving, you know, general directions. And like Sophia said, our first night off the North shore, we had a little challenge with a brand new pump that had a defect that unfortunately was very easy to find. That's good. Um, but pretty much let's say day nine um we he started to tell us hey i would like you to divert from your course let's go you know 15 degrees off in this direction because there's some lows forming in the in the pacific that are unscheduled and whatnot Mm -hmm. and so from that point it was just more of a let's listen to exactly what he wants to do even though we're still in flat calm water he was looking ahead a day or two uh and we could also look at some of the things on the iridium go app you know, what was happening. And after two or three days of a slight diversion from course and the weather's just getting a little bit more um, unruly and up from that point, you know, he kind of had that uh, come to Jesus call with us, which said, hey, it's, there's there's now three that we can't avoid. You know, one, we're just going to catch the outside edge. So I want you to do this. And so for 
a day and a half, we were going 90 degrees off our course. We were pretty much headed directly for San Francisco at that point uh, just to try to skirt the edges of some big lows. Wow. We successfully did that and got directly in the path of a very large one, which um, we're now talking at this point, it's been five or six days of bad weather. And then we ran into our biggest challenge, which was um, sustained weather or sustained wind over 35 knots as high as 50 and running down uh, with the seas over 35, let's say four and a half to five meter seas, where it's a couple times we were taking green water over our stern. So we were just trying to keep from um, uh, from pitch pulling and trying to keep the, the crew, um, which by the way, cyclobenzapine and uh, <laughs> the, the prescriptions that they were on were out, outstanding to keep everyone where they needed to be because it, we did have three full days of a gale storm, uh, which just means stabilizers out. We had our, our main, our little uh, stay sail up primarily just as a storm jib yeah. um, or as a storm sail mm-hmm. and Rain. just just trying to make it as comfortable as possible for the crew. Yeah. Yeah, the flopper stoppers out for three straight days and uh, the whole time. Yeah, it, 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 we definitely needed it. I know, couldn't imagine eating a, a, a meal during that time or just actually catching forty winks. That must have been really difficult. Well, it it was a lot of very simple things: microwave uh, ramen or just eating a dinty more <laughs> can right out of it with a spoon. It's not it's not great. The biggest thing you got to really pay attention, especially in my stress, you know, being responsible for everyone, uh-huh. is just remembering to eat and drink and yeah. stay hydrated. That's right. I, the entire trip, even in good weather, I never slept more than three hours at a spell because <laughs> I was the engineer and yeah. I was uh, responsible. So I was constantly checking systems and transferring fuel and all that kind of stuff. I hear you, Josh. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Lacosta did great. That's what she's designed for. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a couple times where we put, we closed all the bulkheads because it was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lee in between the very, the second to last day of the storm where Dwayne and I would go out into the storm and we set up our, uh, our sea anchor and drove in case of emergency where we needed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was all set up and the lines were run. You know, everything was ready to go in case we had to, you know, lay up for lack of a better term and just let it pass. Uh, we never got to that point. But it was pretty close at one time. Yeah. Well, I, I, did, did the storm break at some point in the morning or was it the afternoon? How did you know when you guys were sort of out of the worst of it? It, it was probably about two hours after uh, daylight uh, on day, day three of an actual, the actual gale. I think Sophia looked it up and we were in a force 10 at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, all of a sudden you realize that you don't see wave heights above, you know, fill in the blank on our mast. Yeah. And then we're not going down quite as hard. And at that point, you know, we get that last email from Bob and it's been nothing but doom and gloom for now, 10 days straight. And it's like, Hey, you guys did it. Congratulations. And he said, don't quote me, but it should be smooth sailing (laughs) in quotation marks. And he was right. The five days that followed since we were now, you know, 80% across the ocean at that point, we made a lot of uh, time up and oh, nice. everything kind of got back to normal-ish, you know. Yeah. We had a couple mechanical issues <laughs> come up. But, um, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that storm system was, uh, was almost 10 days between small building to very large that was uh, definitely slowed us down. Yeah. Well, that sounds like you were prepared and you had the right vessel. That's certainly the truth. Um, why don't you tell me the moment that you saw the lights of 
catch Chan in the distance. What did what was what were your thoughts at that point? This is twenty Hallelujah. Almost twenty twenty five hundred miles in, right? Or something like that around there? Yeah. Okay. It was it was amazing. Um not even just seeing the lights of Ketchikan. I mean I remember oh, the morning the, the barrier island off of Hyde Glide. Oh yeah. Okay. Go ahead. That morning, um, you know, it was we got we we'd gone through the storm and since the, the worst of the storm we actually lost one of our stabilizer fins in the storm. Um, and it was kind of a joke with Josh and I, since we were the two that were awake during the storm, that uh, it had been a couple hours since then. And we wondered if the fin was still falling, falling to the bottom of the ocean. Because when we were in the storms, I think we were in 20-something. Yeah, 25,000 feet of water. Wait, so. really? Holy smokes. Yeah. yeah, it's still, has it settled yet? Who knows? Yeah, so that was kind of like the little tension breaker between the two of us where we chuckled about it yeah and, then, and thankfully when that when that that fitting snapped we were at the very very tail end of that storm and we did have a backup stabilizer and i was able to did a do a one-handed bowl in and actually just with a chunk of uh lanyard not lanyard halyard actually we ran a, a temporary stabilizer for the rest of the trip thank goodness wow wow that's What's, Which is another funny TSA thing that got brought through security. A flopper, <laughs> uh, yeah, a spare. Wow, that's uh... a. <laughs> but, but from my side of things, just when we yeah. when we when we turned out of Dixon entrance, and I was in the waters that, that was my home waters, and we turned inside of Net Island, okay. which is going up towards Reville Tahito Island, which is where Ketchikan is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very surreal. Not only were we not used to looking at land, of course, that long, you know, it, it was uh, 18 days straight without anything. Mm-hmm. That it was just that I also recognized some of the promontories. Um, Unfortunately, it was later in the afternoon and there was a king tide the day before. So we were going through a channel with the tide with us at 10 knots, which is unheard of for La Costa or a diesel duck. They're not, not known for their speed. Um, and it was just absolutely like Frogger trying to keep her from hitting these massive floating logs from the king tide prior. Yeah. So we hadn't been diverting course for now weeks, you know, pretty much just small autopilot adjustments to. Now we're going super fast. We're going through a passage and I'm doing nothing but dodging deadheads and, you know, 30 foot off. <laughs> so that was, that was our, that was our kind of indication that we were truly in Southeast Alaska and glad we had a steel boat because, you know, they tend to bounce off the bow versus causing damage. So I was, it was very emotional to come inside Tongas Narrows and take a left and head north and see the Coast Guard base there and the, and the uh, cruise ship terminal. And I knew that I was home. Yeah, well said. Um, and that's where Lacosta lives now. And um, we were yeah. talk we were talking earlier before I hit the record button that uh, you guys have some nice plans for Lacosta this summer. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Um, yeah. So we uh, currently she's in Ketchikan. Um, okay. So in the the winters we keep her there in the marina. Mm-hmm. Um, we have businesses up there that we also manage and just kind of. Working on, you know, we changed all the oils and the belts and the filters from the crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the weather gets nicer this summer here in about uh, six weeks, we'll take her up to our home in Myers Truck, where we pretty much plan to retire here in a, a few years mm-hmm. and really enjoy what Southeast Alaska has to offer. We have many mm. plans of just cruising and enjoying everything. Um, you know, one of the things that really got me excited truly about this whole boating life, you mm-hmm. know, as I mentioned, I didn't have any 
at all prior to uh, just five, six years ago was uh, one afternoon, Josh had said, you know, let's, let's watch some YouTube videos on boating and got me hooked on Tony Fleming's uh, venture videos. Oh, of course. Yeah. Tony Fleming is an amazing creator and is one that, you know, his videos are just amazing to see. And as I started to watch those and we, you know, became owners of a boat, realizing that we could see that same stuff, we could experience that same type of life. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm excited for, you know, to go see the inside passage. Um, You know, Josh has some hidden treasures of different places that he wants to go to, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a couple hot springs off the grid. You know, of course, the big ones like Hot Springs Bay and Baranoff. Um, Sophie really wants to see Ford's Fairer, uh, the whole icy strait up north by Sumner Sound. Uh, there's a lot of things on the list for the summer. Uh, and we're going to be doing several probably one-week-long trips, uh, you know, over the, the cruising season as we continue to work and do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we do have a long-term goal in 25 or 26. Uh, we will cross the Gulf of Alaska on the cost of run our way up, and we do want to get some good pictures right off the gold fields in Nome here in the next couple of years. Well, you guys promised me you'll keep me in the loop about that because we'd love to have you back in the magazine. Absolutely. Well, and we're going to get better at this stuff, you know, a better drone, you know, yes. taking better notes as everything happens yeah. and, and just really recording more details, you know, when it's not just long passages, you know, when there's lots more to see. Yeah. Tony Fleming's a great inspiration. Well said. And uh, thanks for your time today, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy your spring and have a great summer up there in Southeast Alaska. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.